Hello, my name is John Housing, and I want to talk to you to, today about the case of Caleb. The case of Caleb is part of a teaching that I have done that is called Case Studies in Faith. And Case Studies in Faith really means that we look at some people of faith that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11, where all the people are mentioned. We could call them heroes of faith. And so we take each person on an individual uh, basis and put them under the microscope, so to speak, and lift up every rock. And that way we can see some of the details that happens in those people's lives. Uh, and in the stories that they have, how God approached them, how they answered the call of God on their life. For instance, Abram was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he responded by faith. And from that story, we can see that faith always begins with God. He is the one who initiates his call, and then our response to that call is what is called faith. So faith never means that we have to lift up ourselves by our bootstraps, so to speak, and come up and con and just you know conjure up something on the inside of us. No, no, no. Uh, faith is just simply something that God initiates for us. He speaks the word, and we respond to it. By faith, And so the case of Caleb has to do with how to acquire the spirit of faith. Now there is the law of faith or the principle of faith. But then again, there's also the spirit of faith. And God said about Caleb, for instance, uh, he said about Caleb that he had another spirit with him. He talked about the, the millions of people who had the opportunity to go into the promised land, but because of fear, they failed to go into the promised land. But then God said, but my spirit, but my uh, servant Caleb, because he had another spirit, he will go into the promised land. And so he is the one that I want to follow. I too, like Caleb, want to be a person of faith. I want to acquire and operate in the spirit of faith. And so the book of Hebrews also tells us in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12 that, uh, that we are not to be slothful, but we need to be diligent in following those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. So I don't want to follow the 10 spies in the book of Numbers. We're going to talk about them in just a few moments. I don't want to be like them who had the opportunity to give a good report and bring millions with them into the promised land. But instead, what they did is they operated in fear and they assumed that they were not able to take the land because of the giants. So I'm not going to follow them. I'm going to follow Caleb. I don't want to be like Aunt Sarah or like Uncle Joe who said, well, I tried that faith stuff, but it didn't work. Or I tried those scriptures, but they didn't work for me. Or I listened to that CD, but it didn't do anything for me. I'm not going to follow those people. I am purposely 
going to follow the people that are listed in the scriptures as people of faith. They had the spirit of faith on them. They operated in faith and they got the victory. They got the success. They inherited the promises that God gave them, that God uh, promised them. So let's begin by reading in Numbers chapter 13. And I'm sure that you know this, uh, the story God had uh, approached the nation of Israel. He took him out of Egypt and then he told Moses to bring him into the promised land. He told them it is going to be a land that flows with milk and honey. And then they took it upon themselves actually to say, well, let's make sure that God has told us the truth. And God allowed it. He said, okay, if you want to do that, uh, that's fine, but you're going to have to send 12 people, one of each of the tribes of Israel sent one representative of every tribe of Israel. And so they came up with 12 spies, 12 explorers. And we're going to pick it up in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 17. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And he said unto them, get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain and see the land what it is and the people that dwell therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not, and be of good courage and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grape. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob, as men come to Hamath. And they ascended by the south, and they came unto Hebron, where Ahimon and Sheshai and Talmai, the children of Anak, were. They were the Anakites, and they were giants. They were offspring of the Nephilim. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt, and they came unto the brook of Eshcol, and cut down from there a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bore it between upon a staff, and they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. So you can see right there, that's a, that's a pretty good story to come home with when you cut one cluster of grapes and it is so heavy that you have to carry it with two guys. That's pretty good. The place was called the Brook of Eshcol because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from there. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days and they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought word unto them and to all the congregation and they showed them the fruit of the land. It was a show and tell episode. And they told him and said, we came unto the land where you sent us and surely, surely it flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, they said, the people be strong that dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people. Obviously, there was a you know some grumbling and griping and 
rumor going on. He stilled the people before Moses, and he said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought the ten spies. They brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Enoch, we, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Obviously, they struggled, <laughs> and they were, yeah, they struggled with, a, with an inferiority complex. They suffered from a grasshopper mentality, but not Caleb. Again, he's the person that we want to follow how to acquire the spirit of faith. So let's talk about that. How can we, we as believers, acquire the spirit of faith? We don't want to be like the 10 spies that brought up an evil report and caused such great fear to operate in people, the people that hurt them, that they stayed out of the promise of God, they stayed out of the promised land. Instead, how can we be like Joshua and Caleb who had another spirit with them and they were, even though they were not able to, to infuse those millions of people with faith, we are to follow them. And I want to be infused with that same type of faith that they had. How can we do that? Well, number one, I believe it'd be good for us to be able to know and define what the spirit of faith is. What does it mean when you have the spirit of faith? It just means this. You're not just operating in the law of faith, but you're operating in the spirit of a thing. Um, you know, one way to put it, the word of faith is taught, but the spirit of faith is caught. And I can give you a very simple example. Uh, back in the early 80s, I remember I was born again. I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm part of a wonderful church. And I felt the call of God on my life. Uh, it was a call to go into the ministry. But in order for me to answer the call and go into the ministry, I needed healing. And so I began to listen to a lot of tapes, especially by, by Brother Hagen, who's my spiritual father. And, uh, and, you know, he would talk faith, of course. He would talk about Mark chapter 11, verses 23 and verse 24. And I would listen and I would listen. And I heard him talk about six steps of faith. And then I heard other preachers talk about eight steps towards the highest kind of faith. I would hear so many things and it was all taught in steps. But how many of you know, you can't really live your life just by steps. Your life cannot be just a mechanical thing. You can't just have every bullet uh, just turn out excellent. You know, there's different ways that we learn. It's a, it's a great way to teach by bullets, but you don't really live your life that way. So at first, when I tried to operate by faith, it was very mechanical. I'm going to have to do this first. I'm going to do it to that first. Check. Check. And then number three, I'm going to have to do something else. Check. I was doing everything right, but 
Uh, it just didn't seem like I'm making any progress. As a matter of fact, I would listen to tapes on a daily basis. I believe, you know, probably about eight hours a day because my job allowed me to be able to listen to tapes. It was actually to such a degree that people used to call me tapeworm <laughs> because they saw me walking around with a Walkman and I had a tape plugged in. I had a set of headphones on and I would just walk around with those tapes and I'm, and I'm listening and I'm hearing faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I'm doing everything just right, but it didn't seem like I was making the progress that I wanted to make. As a matter of fact, I even got to the point that I'm thinking to myself, man, I just want to throw all this stuff away. It doesn't seem to be working, but thank God I didn't do it <laughs> because the Bible tells us this. Jesus made this statement in John chapter 8 verse 32, if you continue, now that's a big deal. That shows you you're going to have to make a choice in the matter. But he said, if you continue in my word, then you will be my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So I'm just so glad that I didn't quit. I am so glad that I did not take away, not throw away any of the any of my tapes, any of my books, because I know this. If I stick with it, if I am patient, if I'm consistent with this, if I keep doing the same thing, speak the same words over myself over and over and over again, then there's a time coming. It won't have to be so mechanical, but I will operate in the spirit of a thing. So when you operate in the spirit of faith, it becomes a part of your core. It becomes a part, you could say, of your DNA. Now you think according to faith. You speak words of faith. You see by the eye of faith. You will govern your actions according to faith. So that's on an individual basis, but how many of you know you can create a spirit of faith in your home so that you become a household or a, a family of faith? You can cultivate this type of an environment in your business where everybody goes the same direction. Everybody speaks the same thing. And when you have that, when everybody has the same goal in mind and everybody speaks the same thing, I can guarantee you this, you will not only be able to reach your goals, you will not only be able to, uh, to catch the vision and be able to implement the vision, but you will become very successful at it. As a matter of fact, sometimes you hear people talk about uh, developing a culture of faith in your church. Well, what would that mean? It would just simply means this, that everybody says the same thing. Now, I'm not talking about everybody having to parrot the same words over and over again, but it's the same spirit. It's the same type of a word. It's the same words that everybody is speaking. We all have the same direction. We all have the same goals. We all have the same vision. And when you have that operating in your church, you have created a culture of faith. And that's what Paul talks about. I, I, he told the church in Corinth that he wanted them to all speak and say 
the same things. Again, that does not mean you have to be a parent, but everybody's going for the same goal. Everybody's going for the same vision. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13 reads like this. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. So when you're a believer, you're going to have to speak something. You're going to have to say something. When you are a person of faith, you'll speak words of faith. If you're a person that doesn't speak faith, you'll be a person of fear and you'll speak fearful words. And that's my next point. In order for us to acquire the spirit of faith, you have to know this, that faith has a specific sound. It will always uh, sound victorious. You'll always talk about your victories. You'll always talk about your successes that God has granted you. You'll always talk about the promises. And one way for me to explain it is, you know, we just read Numbers chapter 13. And uh, you, hear, you hear the ten spies talk. You remember what they said? They all said, yes, what God has said, what he has promised us is true. There's no doubt about it. It is a land that flows with milk and honey, but they said nevertheless, but really that means but. And so you're going to have to know where you're going to, where you place your but. <laughs> so I believe that's very important. They said, yes, what God has said is true. His word, his promises are true. It is a land that flows with milk and honey, but... Now, I don't care what comes after the but. Every word that comes after the but discredits and takes away the power of every word that comes before the but. What did they say? Well, yes, the promises of God are true, but there are also giants in the land and we are not able to take the land. What did they say? Well, really what they said is, yes, the word is true, but it is discredited by what we saw. The word of God is true, but it's not as real. It is not as big as the problems that we have seen. And so rather than taking God at his word, rather than making God's word their final authority, they went by what they saw and they gave greater credit to what they saw and what appeared to be, they appeared like grasshoppers in their sight. That's what was more real to them than what God had promised them. And so whatever came after the but was more real and more important to them than what came before the but. That's how they talk. Well, that's fear talking. That is fear talking. Now, when you are a person of faith, when you acquire the spirit of faith, you, you, it does not mean that you don't acknowledge the problem. It's, faith does not mean that you deny that there is a problem. As a matter of fact, you acknowledge the problem, but you're going to have to put it in the, in the right place. So, for instance, Jesus made this statement. He said in John chapter 16 and verse 33, in the world you shall have tribulation. Now, how many of you know that is a promise? I'm sure that's not a promise that you have in your, on your fridge 
or in your promise box. It is not a promise that you have framed in your bedroom, but it is a promise. In this world, Jesus said, you shall have tribulation. But, he said, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Can you see how Jesus talked? This is God talk. There's nothing wrong with you acknowledging that there is a problem. But don't quit talking until you have talked your covenant with Almighty God. Don't quit talking until you have finished off talking about the promises. So when the ten spies talk, the way they talk, it's fear talking. They started out with the promise of God, but they finished with the problem after the but. But how God wants us to talk, yes, we realize that there is a problem. You remember Caleb? He said, well, yes, it's true that we're, uh, that we're giants in that land, but let's go up at once and take them. These giants are just bread for us. You know, that's what they said. We would say they're toast. They're toast. You know, he recognized there's a problem, but he also believed in what God had promised them. And so he said, let's go and possess the land all at once. Let's not stay here. Let's not cower down. Let's not bow down to the problem. Let's not operate in this virus called fear. But praise God, let's go up and get the land because it's been promised us. That's how he talked. That's how God talked. God calls things which be not as though they were. That's how he approached Abram. You remember Abram when he was, uh, he was in his, I can't remember exactly, but probably close to 90 at the time in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 15. Uh, you know, he's thinking, man, I'm getting older. And he had a conversation with the Lord about it. God appeared unto him and he said to the Lord, he said, behold, Lord, meaning look, Lord. Uh, I'm getting up in age. I don't have a child like you promised me. And the next guy in line who is going to inherit everything that I got is a guy by the name of Eliezer from Damascus. And, uh, you know, you promised me a child, but I don't see it. I don't see it. So what did God do? Well, first God gave him a visual. He showed him, well, look up in the sky. Look up in the sky, Abram. And when you are able to count all the stars, then you get a picture of what I'm about to do with your offspring. Or if you, if it's daytime, you can't see the stars, then look at the beach. And if you're able to count all the kernels of sand at the beach or in the desert, wherever you want to go, and if you're able to count all the kernels of sand, then you have an idea of what I'm going to do with your offspring. And so he gave him a visual, but not only that, God gave him words to speak. He gave him something that he could say because God calls things which be not as though they were. And so he told Abram, from now on, your name is no longer going to be Abram. It's going to be Abraham, which means the father of many nations or the father of a multitude. So every time, every time when Abram, Abraham now introduced himself to someone. He said, he shook his hand and he would say, my name is Abraham. And what they heard was, I am the father of many nations. Now he didn't have a child at the time and he didn't have a piece of land to put the child in either. 
but it all came to pass. Not everything, not, not the whole land has ever uh, has, has been given to Abraham yet. He's going to have to be resurrected from the dead in order for him to walk in the fullness of the promise. But God gave him the start of what he promised him by giving him Isaac. How did Isaac come into being? Because, because he began to believe in something he couldn't see. And he began to say something that at the time seemed impossible. Now notice how Paul talked. Paul did the same thing as Jesus. He talked about his persecutions and afflictions. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, Persecutions and afflictions which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. And we talked about what persecutions I endured. But, he said, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Can you see? There's nothing wrong with you acknowledging that there's a problem. But don't quit talking until you have talked your promise. The promises that God has given you. For they are yes and amen to the glory of God. Can you say amen? Praise the Lord. Okay, the next thing that I want to talk to you about is the same story, how to acquire the spirit of faith. Number one, know what the spirit of faith is. It's, you know, it's caught, it's not taught. It's something that you catch in your, in your, in your heart. The word of faith is taught, but the spirit of faith is caught. Number two, we just uh, talked about faith has a sound, but you're also going to have to deal with facts. So the point that I want to make is always go with facts. Always find the facts, but never change the fact into an evil report. Because that's what the nation of Israel did. That's what the ten spies did. They said, yes, what God said is true. It is a land that flows with milk and honey. But then they added something to their testimony that God didn't say anything about. He never talked about the Nephilim. He never talked about the children of Anak. He never said anything about the giants. And I've learned over the years that you can go just as much by what God does not say as by what he does say. So if he didn't say anything about the giant, if he didn't say anything about the problem, why should you? Why should you bring it up? And why should you govern your life by the things that you see? Amen. <laughs> so uh, uh, never change facts into an evil report. That's what the 12 or the 10 spies did. They said, yes, what God has said is true. It is a land that flows with milk and honey. But, and now they added their own testimony to it. There were also giants there. And because of those giants, we are not able to go into the land because they are too strong for us. So an evil report does not mean that it is a lie. It means it's factual. What they saw is factual. They said, well, there are giants. That's factual. There's nothing wrong with you recognizing there are giants. Nothing wrong with you recognizing there's a mountain. Nothing wrong with you recognizing there's a problem. But don't change. Don't change those facts into an evil report. Don't change those facts into an evil report. Don't say, well, those are the facts, and because of that, we are not able to accomplish it. Praise the Lord. Numbers chapter 13 and verse 32. And they brought up 
talking about those 10 spies. They brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. So when you are uh, when you're going through life, there are certain things you're going to have to have to deal with. I've had people come to me and say, please, Pastor John, uh, can you pray for me? I'm going to the doctor and I want to pray that he's going to give me a good report. Well, I can't pray that. I cannot pray that because because the doctor is going to have to give you his report. What he what he found, what he finds. Those are the facts. You're going to get the facts from your doctor but you don't have to change the facts into an evil report but you can't pray that you're going to get a good report you've already been given a good report which is the word of god that is your report your job your choice is going to be which word which report are you going to believe are you going to believe the report of the Lord, or are you going to report that you get from your from your doctor or from your lawyer or from your banker or from whoever? They will give you reports, and they should because they have to give you the facts. I remember, you know, um, you know when I when I pastored, I would ask people for facts. Many times I found this: people don't give me the facts; they give me what they think I want to hear. And that was never very helpful. But when you get the facts, now you can deal with the facts. Does it make sense to you? I remember, you know, uh, how I operate, I wouldn't say how I operated, but you know, I, I, I was paying attention to how, how I functioned. I remember one time it was in January. And so Christmas had just passed and I knew I'm gonna get a great big MasterCard bill. And sure enough, I mean, it came in the mail, but I thought to myself, ah, I'm not sure if I want to open it up at this moment. I'm not really mentally nor emotionally ready to open up this, this, uh, this bill because it's probably going to be a good sized bill. And uh, so I waited, you know, I put it on my desk, I remember, and, you know, it got uh, it got piled up, you know, where I piled up other stuff on top of that, and so it got at the bottom of the of that pile because I didn't really want to deal with it but it's so nagging in my mind I'm gonna have to pay that bill and I remember getting closer to the to the due date I'm thinking well I may as well deal with it I didn't want to deal with it before I still wasn't really overly emotionally ready for it but I'm gonna have to deal with this thing and so I, I opened it up and sure enough it was even bigger than I thought that it would be and, uh, but, but then I noticed in my own self, well, now I know the facts. Now I have authorized myself to actually deal with it. I don't look at that number and now I'm going, going to create an evil report and say, well, how on earth am I going to pay this thing off? No, that's the time when I began to talk to my bill. It's a mountain. <laughs> that number that I saw was a good size mountain. And so I know for myself, I'm not going to create an evil report by saying I can't pay this. No, I'm going to apply the promises of God to it, which tells me that God will meet all my needs 
according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And not only did I say it, I began just to praise him. Thank you, Lord. You are my source. I'm not looking to my job as my source. I'm not looking at men as my source. I am looking to you as my source. I believe that my needs are met according to your riches in glory. And I began to praise him because that's what faith does. Faith not only has a victorious sound, but it has the sound of praise. You can find that in Psalm 107, when the nation of Israel, when they believed the word of the Lord, they began to sing his praise. That's, that's the outcome of of when you are in faith. When you're in faith, you'll not grumble and complain and operate in fear and think and talk about how is this ever going to happen. No, no, no. You'll begin to talk victory and you'll begin to praise God for the fact that it's already done in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, talking about the spirit of faith, in order for us to operate in the spirit of faith, we may as well know you're going to have to learn to operate in the law of faith. And when I talk about the law of faith, I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments. Uh, I'm not talking about, you know, something weird. I'm just talking about the principle of faith. Romans chapter 3 and verse 27, where is boasting? It is excluded by what law or by what principle of works? No, but by the law of faith. So just like gravity is a law, just like we have physical or natural laws, and just like we have financial laws and so on, when you, know, when you put something into practice, when you jump off a building, gravity will kick in and you're going to go down. You may not like it. You may not agree with, with it. You may have read up on it and you think, well, this should not be happening. But when you jump off that building, you're going to go down. It's not the fall that is so bad. It's the sudden stop at the bottom that tends to be hurtful. <laughs> Amen. And so just like gravity works in the natural realm, so faith works in the supernatural realm. It is a spiritual law. Now, rather than being ignorant of it, it'd be helpful for us to become knowledgeable about it. In the same way that when we become uh, knowledgeable uh, about the law of gravity, when we understand how it works, then you can actually fly a plane. Not only are you able to fly a plane, but you can take off on purpose and land that thing because of the law of gravity on purpose at the, at the destination that you planned. We're so well versed in it that you don't ever think about taking off and landing at a certain time at a certain place. You just do it because we've been operating in the law of gravity and other laws that are, you know, that are uh, com compliant with it. We've operated in that for such a long time that you don't even question it. You don't ever question. I wonder if we are really going to land at this place at that time because it's an established thing. So what about if we would begin, begin to understand the law of faith to such a degree that you can purposely put into practice? Well, we know that Jesus operated that way, don't we? He talked to a, to a fig tree in Mark chapter 11. He, he talked to a fig tree and he, he said some words to the fig tree that caused that fig tree to be dried up from its roots. Now, they didn't immediately see it because they came in the morning 
uh, past the fig tree when Jesus spoke to it. In the evening, they walked back and they must have passed it again. Nothing must have happened because Peter didn't say anything. But the next day, so 24 hours later, they walked on the same road going from where they were to Jerusalem to the temple. They walked past the same fig tree and now Peter piped up. <laughs> and, and he said, oh, Master Luke, the, the tree, the fig tree that you cursed yesterday, it has withered away. Now, what did Jesus do? Did he say, well, Peter, I'm the Messiah. I, I'm able to do those things. But you guys are just lowly fishermen. Just stick around me and see what I'm able to do. Is that what he did? No, no. You know what Jesus did? He said, he said to Peter, he said, have faith in God. Literally, that means have faith like God has faith. He gave Peter an opportunity to be like him, to operate in faith and in the principle or the law of faith in the same way that he himself did. He explained the law of faith by saying in Mark chapter 11 and verse 23, for whosoever, I say, he said, verily I say unto you, that whosoever, shall say unto this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. And if you shall not doubt in your heart, but believe that those things which you say will come to pass, you shall have whatever you say. That is the law of faith. That is the law or the principle of faith. And it will work for you. It'll work for you in your living room. It'll work for you at your job. It'll work for you when you're on vacation. It'll work for you when you're in church. It'll work for you anytime and at any place. The problem has been because we've been so ignorant of that law, we have been unconsciously be, uh, used that law against our own selves. Against our own selves. Again, let's say it. That whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that the things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatever he says. With other words, whoever will have whatever. Whosoever will have or can have whatsoever. So if you don't like what you have at this moment, if you don't like where you are, at this moment, the first thing to look at is what have you been saying? Not just praying, what have you been saying? Because obviously what you say, if you say it for a long period of time and you believe it, eventually you will have what you say. That's, that's how the whole system works. So again, if you don't like what you have, if you don't like what you see, if you don't like where you are in your life, then first of all, don't blame it on the government. Don't blame it on your education. Don't blame it on your parents. Don't blame it on anything except on what have you been saying? What have you been saying? Because what you say eventually will come to pass. And so the law of faith also makes your prayer work because let's notice the next verse, verse 24. Jesus made this statement. He said, for after he said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, he said, therefore, 
I say unto you. Now the word therefore connects what he has just said about the law of faith with prayer. What did Jesus say about prayer? Well, therefore, because this law is working, therefore, when you pray, whatever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive and you shall have. So prayer does not make your faith work, but your faith will make your prayer work. What did Jesus say? You shall have. Did he say Whatever you desire, you will have. No, no, he didn't say that. Did Jesus say, whatever you pray for, you shall have? No, he didn't say that either. Jesus said this about prayer. Whatever you desire, first of all, it would mean you're going to have to have some strong desire inside of you. You're going to have to have some hope on the inside of you. What things ever you desire, when you pray, when you pray, you believe that you receive and you shall have. So Jesus said that you will have the things that you desire that you desire when you pray and you believe that you receive. You know why? Because when you believe that you receive, then you have it. You may not immediately see it in this realm in the same way that it took 24 hours for the tree to finally show some signs that Jesus had spoken to it. But your prayer begins to work when you believe that you receive because now you have it. Now you can talk like you have your healing. Now you can talk like you have your peace. Now you can talk about your restoration of finances. You can talk about your your family restoration because you believe that you receive what God has said about your situation. John 15 and verse 7 says this, if you abide in me, now the word abide doesn't mean you're there for a couple of weeks or a couple of hours. When you abide with someone, uh, you just dwell there. You, you live with that person. So if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. I trust that you got something out of this message. I believe that you receive good results based on the promises of God. Let's acquire the spirit of faith and walk in the same victory, the same success that people like Joshua and Caleb had. Caleb at the end of his life, or actually not the end of his life, when he was 85, he said to Joshua, Joshua, I'm 85 right now, but I'm just as strong as when I was 45. So he said, these 40 years later, you know, he had to spend 40 years waiting for him to finally get the promise. Now that the 40 years are up, he said, I'm not asking for a rocking chair. Give me this mountain. See, that's faith talking. He said, give me this mountain when he was 85 years of age. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. That's this kind of spirit, the spirit of faith that I'm looking for. God bless you, and I hope to see you soon.